0: Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and along with me today is Pat Kelleher, the Executive Director of USA Hockey. I'm very honored to have you on this call today, Pat. Thank you very much for coming in. Happy to be here, Doug,
1: although the term Zamboni Experts is nothing that's ever been utilized with me before. so it's uh, But
0: it's fun to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Great, great. Hey, wanted to touch a little bit uh, on your Kelleher family background in hockey i know you're from back east which is secondary to the great state of minnesota for producing hockey players but maybe you can correct me on that i love how you're just starting right in on me
1: yeah no i grew up in the uh the, in belmont massachusetts just outside of boston big hockey family my uh i'm the oldest of five boys uh all played uh college hockey to some degree and uh all still somewhat involved in the game my parents um got us all into it obviously and Used to love to tell the stories of my first times going to the rink were the saturday mornings and i didn't want to i didn't want to go to the rink because i want to leave my saturday morning cartoons back in the day so a different deal but uh my dad coached youth hockey for forever in belmont and youth hockey and youth baseball actually but he coached uh as we used to call them the mites now the eight and unders is what we call them in usa hockey my dad coached the mites in belmont for 40 years just that age category he never moved up and my mom was the uh one of the best hockey moms of all time. She was carting the five of us around and she was team mom and manager and kind of doing everything in the local association. So hockey's been uh, a part of my life forever and still is in the uh, outside of my day job, but feel really fortunate to be able to have this position with USA hockey and and be involved in the game that means
0: so much to me on a personal level too. Well, that's awesome. Then your father had to have bumped elbows with Eddie Peduto's father-in-law who was uh, a legend. Uh, back in the boston area as well
1: yep yep uh certainly yeah actually both my parents would know eddie peduto and then his dad and everybody so they you know it's it's a small hockey world back there for sure so um yeah they they ed peduto who now runs the rink in in the burbank arena he'll tell some great stories about dealing with my mother as a team mom or you know paying for ice bills back in the day when ed was running the rink in watertown which is uh, right next door to Belmont, where we'd skate out of quite a bit when we were growing
0: up. Yeah, he was giving me a little intel and in telling me that one of your brothers was so intent on uh, getting approval from your mom that he married somebody with the same name as your mom. Is that true?
1: <laughs> that is true. There is one, uh, my mother's name is Mara, and there now is, uh, I have a sister-in-law named Mara as well.
0: That's that's pretty incredible that uh, that, that was just a stroke of faith that that would happen um also he was talking about uh one of your i think a niece plays for belmont which is a pretty prominent hockey program is it not
1: yeah so we have uh one of my brothers my brother brendan whose wife is mara actually lives in belmont still and his uh he's got a daughter that plays for belmont high school that they've they had a pretty good team Um, she was pretty young so um this year i think she's a freshman on the team but they had a pretty good run at the high school level and so she plays and of our uh between myself and my four brothers there's 16 grandkids in the Kelleher side and some are um really little still but goes from my 18 year old down to a a baby that was born a month ago but the majority of them in there play uh hockey to some degree at this point still so it's like i said a big part of our family all the time and we have some great discussions and debates about hockey and at, at every level at this point my mother uh my dad passed away a couple years ago now but my mother still um can can talk hockey with the best of them and has probably been in more rinks or maybe as many rinks as you have across this country doug
0: and does the debate uh get into whether the eagles are better than the terriers or how how does that go on your family side
1: so it, it's interesting we like to uh chris was the terrier at bu and tim was the uh the eagle at bc the goaltender they missed each other by a year playing against one another but uh it's it's a great debate it's even more fun after a couple of adult beverages and we just kind of fuel the flames but at the end of the day um, as chris likes to score it he says they both they both actually won national championships in college so they're even there uh, and and that's where my mother stands on chris then takes it a step further and says that he won four bean pots while at bu and timmy did not win four bean pots so that's his his kind of mic drop to wrap that
0: one up isn't that the Boston University Invitational as opposed to the Beanpot?
1: That's certainly what Chris would tell you. I don't think Timmy would call it that, though.
0: <laughs> I've been fortunate enough, and I was actually out uh, there this February before everything went down in March and uh, was able to attend the, the finals night and see Northeastern uh, beat BU for, I don't know, if it's the second or third consecutive title, which is unusual that uh, either Northeastern or Harvard wins the titles. Um, and it was a kid, Trevor Zegras from BU, who's a duck draft pick, I think, scored a goal late in the game to tie it up. And uh, it, it was interesting. He, I, I was a little disappointed with the uh, the behavior um, based on a, a call that wasn't missed by Mister Gravelisi, but um, <laughs> there is a alleged call that was missed that uh, may or may not have cost bu the game but it's always fun to get out there for that
1: yeah it's a great event and i I think as you know one of my other brothers is also officiated in the bean pot so i uh, i I don't comment about the officials with the bean pot or any anywhere for that matter that's
0: part of my job so you do a very good walk the swiss line with that pat thank you Um, pat could you uh fill us in on your career journey and how you got to where you are now within usa hockey
1: yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, again, grew up playing hockey, big part of my life. And then when I got out of school, um, I probably should have been doing something different with my degree from Brown university, but, but I wanted to stay in, in sports and specifically stay in hockey. So I coached for a little bit, uh, and then I, I took kind of a random job posting to move to San Jose, California. This was back in 94, the sharks had just built their practice facility, which was two sheets of ice at the time is now four uh moved out there to to do a grad assistantship at San Jose State in sport management and help run and start these new hockey programs in San Jose um at the youth and adult level and it was kind of one of those things where you know I was 23 24 at the time out there and because I was from Boston and had played uh, had, had played a little bit in college they thought I knew everything about hockey and I didn't admit to not knowing things about hockey so they let me kind of do everything and and in the 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 Malcolm Gladwell um Theory of getting your 10,000 hours to master a skill. Uh, I, I got in a lot close to my 10,000 hours in a couple of years in San Jose, and and uh, learned a lot about the rink business at that time, but also youth hockey and programs for adults um, in a part of the country that at the time would have been considered non-traditional in Northern California. Now it's certainly a hotbed of hockey activity, and then. You know, from there I moved to Chicago and, and was involved in the rink industry, as you know, with the with the Ice Skating Institute for a short period of time, and then at a couple of ice rinks as a hockey director and um, and engaged with USA Hockey there as a as a, a volunteer to help with uh, and had done that in Boston too as a volunteer to help with coaching clinics, um, and had met a lot of people in the USA Hockey side from the national level and uh as they put together at that time what was called or well, the foundation of what was called serving the american rinks or star which is now known as the u.s ice rink association um, i was hired to start that organization which is now crazy to believe going in tw- or over 20 years old and um so i left chicago in 2000 moved to colorado springs and started uh started working on star so the, the ice rink uh, arena program that we work with now usa hockey and us figure skating have been joint venture in that for as i said 20 years and i ran that for about eight and then moved over to the usa hockey side um, to start our membership development programs in 2008 um, to really put a, a bigger emphasis on growing the game for usa hockey and getting more kids involved in the game and certainly working with ice rinks and other partners to make sure we get families into the game and make sure they have a great experience playing hockey Uh, and did that and then took over a role in in fundraising with our usa hockey foundation Uh, did both of those from 2011 on to 2017 and then was fortunate enough um, my predecessor dave ogren was a great mentor to me and he retired in 2017 and i was fortunate enough to be chosen to to become our next executive director so i've been in this role now for three years and as I, as I teased Dave as recently as over the weekend, I said, you know, Dave, I've been looking through the desk drawers and I, I don't see any, uh, emergency pandemic manual plan anywhere in here for USA hockey. So, um, been kind of living, living through that, like everybody, um, since March. So it's been, um, yeah, so I've been, I've been fortunate to be involved in hockey, uh, and hockey-related businesses my whole career and ever since I got out of school. So it's, um, it's certainly, a uh, rewarding to get up. Uh, every day and be here and be involved in 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 hockey. So I, I, I'm very fortunate to to what I get to do and, and work with so many great people, not only on our staff here, but in Michigan and then our volunteers all, all across the country. So that's that's
0: <laughs> hopefully that's an aw- up- It's awesome. And it's always great when you can have a job. It's like when I've talked to younger people, which there are many younger people that I come across these days, not too many older people. Uh, and tell them to find something that they truly enjoy doing because you're going to spend a lot of time working and if you can find something that you really are passionate about it's like not really having to go to work it's it's fun and that's it like today this is awesome i've been telling people i went to school when i graduated from high school 112 years ago uh that i went to school for radio broadcasting and i'm finally now um 40 plus years later uh putting that to good use So. Um, One thing I want to touch on is you talked about uh, California in your time out there, and I've referred to it and uh, working on the trademark of it as the new state of hockey to just give a few jabs to my friends back in the old state of hockey of Minnesota. We had Luke Robitaille on a podcast recently, and we talked about it. And I I just look at the numbers and go, okay, we've got uh, three NHL teams. We've got soon to be six AHL teams. Uh, The numbers of people are leading to Uh, more talented hockey players coming out of California. And I said when I moved out here in 87 that if they ever made it a high school sport, which it's grown considerably, that you're going to see some of the hockey players. What are you seeing with USA Hockey and its registration of numbers in California? And do you think it's going to continue to grow now that the Kraken have been unleashed in Seattle? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i think the kraken is going to certainly help us in seattle um in a, in a great market where as you know they have ice rinks they have infrastructure so i think that'll just help us increase membership increase participation in the game in the pacific northwest but as far as california goes our membership uh and our participation numbers continue to rise year after year i think the nhl having three clubs out there and three really good and active clubs that are that are big into growing the game i mean again i'm familiar with with how far the Sharks have come since I was there in 94 and watch that closely. And the number of ice surfaces in North Cali- Northern California have grown and the Sharks have done an incredible job. And I think you can say the same, certainly for the Ducks and the Kings down in Southern California. There's there's more opportunity to play hockey in California than there was certainly 20 years ago. Um, and that's what it is. We need ice rinks, as you well know. Um, the more places where people can play, uh, the better chance they have to fall in love with the game and become fans and, and just increase the, the footprint we have so california continues to grow we continue to see great players coming out of there on the men's and women's side because of all these programs and just the uh the emphasis on development and we also i mean one of the great things too is california in particular has a huge uh adult hockey playing population within usa hockey so there's there's a lot of people that um just have fallen either either Grew up with the game, or fell in love with the game late, that still play uh, in USA Hockey programs and rinks across the across the state. So we don't use the term non-traditional anymore. I'm very cognizant of that. I would say California might be a newer market in size and just the the player pool, but uh, we've we've retired the term non-traditional from our our lexicon here at USA Hockey. I think it's uh, California's a place that's uh, now looked at to produce lots of players and lots of high-level players too.
0: Yeah, I think the sheer numbers, that's what I looked at when I came out here is the sheer numbers of people that reside in California would lend itself to say we should be able to get more hockey players if we can get more sheets of ice. And that certainly has happened And the Ducks building uh, their facility that they did, the 4 sheet facility. I'm really looking forward to when we can get a full regular season under our belts um, with that facility. Um, Pat, could you uh, delve into some of the various areas of USA Hockey and uh, give our listeners a little overview of each of them and how they function with USA Hockey? Yeah, I've touched on a
1: couple. I mean, we are the national governing body for the sport underneath the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, so the USOPC as it's known now. Um, And our job is to really administer the sport at all levels um, throughout the country. And we work with players, coaches, officials, volunteers, parents, uh, and everybody associated with the game to try and make sure that the the hockey experience, no matter the age, no matter the level, um, is the best sports experience that it can be. And ultimately, for us and through our our charge from the from the Olympic and from the USOPC is to put together Olympic and Paralympic teams every four years to compete in the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, and that's really the, the 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 pinnacle or the cherry on top of what we do. Really, what we are is a grassroots youth sports organization. So, you know, there are there are about 3,000 local youth associations across the country that are members of USA Hockey, and all the kids that play uh, come in and are members of ours, but members of their local programs. And we provide structure, resources, um, education to help make sure that experience is as good as it can be. And I think one of one of the areas just to touch on is our coaching education programs. And we have, we have over 60,000 registered coaches across the country. Um, we do a great deal of work to make sure that they provide the best experience possible. So that's not only what a practice looks like and make sure kids have a great time at practice, but also a game experience, making sure that everybody plays and develops and, and gets, you know, is allowed to improve to the best of their ability. Um, I think we also have done a great job uh, more well, I was going to say more recently, but when the 10 years ago, we unveiled um, what, what we call is now known as the American Development Model or ADM. And the ADM is really the blueprint of how to develop and administer youth hockey across the country. Again, to make sure that everybody that plays has the best sports experience possible. And that not only is for every kid that plays house league, but also for every kid that may play a tier one or triple A level. How can it be the best development opportunity? How can it be the most fun? How can they get the most out of it and and as a result how can they be the best hockey player that they can be so that for us uh the adm in in 2009 2010 when we came out with that really was transformational i'd say for our organization because it it kind of connected all the different pieces that we have across the country all the different volunteers the coaches the parents the players um, to focus around what's age appropriate and best for every kid that plays and i think it's been um we've we've seen a lot of success and had some really good results with that um so far and you know we're really just a generation kind of into it at this point um but more kids are playing more kids boys and girls are getting the highest levels and from the from our national team levels we're having more success internationally we're having you know more on the men's side having more players drafted at the highest levels of the nhl and, and performing at the highest levels of the nhl so um I like to look at as the we're the foundation of the sport across the country, the grassroots level. And as we go up the pyramid, um, we have roles at, at every level. And then obviously work on the men's side, very, very closely with the national hockey league and all of their clubs um, to impact the communities where they play to grow the game and ultimately to, to put on uh, to have more Americans playing at the highest level in the national hockey league.
0: That's great. And one side question to it is, You've been in the industry for a while. I've been in it for a long while. We know that uh, there are um, sometimes challenges when it comes to parents and different aspects. How difficult is it for you and USA Hockey to try to keep all the sheep herded? Because you're dealing with 50 different states. Maybe not every state has its own organization, but how much of a challenge is that? And How do you guys keep everybody focused on what's best for USA Hockey?
1: yeah we actually have a very very good structure
0: in place we have 34
1: affiliate organizations so where you are doug the california amateur hockey association is our usa hockey affiliate that works on our behalf and and governs and administers hockey within the state of california Um, there's 33 other organizations around the country that are either state-based or multi-state based so we rely on them um, to do that we have great collaboration actually we had a call this morning with our affiliate presidents and our local registrars the people that help um, make sure we get the rosters completed and the teams registered and all that stuff to talk about what's going on really specifically now when you talk about covid and and what's happened with the coronavirus so we have a great network and structure of people out there as volunteers who do a ton of work on our behalf Um, there are always challenges that we'll deal with and that they deal with as well parents um are both and i'm one as well as a hockey parent uh can be a blessing and a curse but i think we've looked at it and to say you know what there are going to be some challenges some issues but you know with with uh youth players ages eight and under the vast majority of our parents are are, are fantastic uh, and we try and provide information education to help them uh, understand what the youth hockey experience should really look like and be um, but again we have some that Uh, maybe get a little overzealous at times maybe step out of bounds sometimes and we have to deal with that and again a lot of that does get handled hopefully first at the local association level so here in in Colorado Springs where I'm at our Colorado Springs amateur hockey association is just like most youth programs they would handle any parental issues and if something moves beyond that it would be the state organization to handle and um, ideally that gets that get managed at those levels before it would ever have to get to the national level at USA hockey but we we do see a few of those things as well, but I think the strength of our organization is is really the structure that's in place, and a lot of the we have great staff that work well with our volunteers. And as as um, we've, we've, we 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 kind of refer to them, we have paid professionals on staff, and we have unpaid professionals out in the field as volunteers. And it takes everybody working together to help us do what we do and help make the game stronger as strong as it can be across the country.
0: It it truly takes a village and maybe one thing with the CV uh, situation that we're faced with, it might uh, do for um, the ranks to eliminate some of the problems of the overzealous parents uh, cheering or uh, questioning calls and let the kids play. And I I know I'm a disciple of Herbie Brooks and I know he just uh, was real big with that where wanted to just let the kids have a good time
1: yeah and i think that's that's a big part for us now too with our adm and what we do with that is to make it age appropriate and based on the the player or the child's experience um i think for sure when we talk about where we are today in this whole pandemic and the the situation we're facing across the country um there's going to be some challenges and 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 some you know in some cases maybe that we'll put the genie back in the bottle a little bit and focus on staying closer to home and not doing as much travel and doing what we can to play, um, but but we want you know we want everybody to have have an experience in hockey that's going to be positive. And I think right now, and again, the call I alluded to this morning was to talk to our people out in the field to say, hey, let's let's be creative and continue to find solutions to allow people to get back to the rinks as safely as possible and to follow, you know, follow not only the guidelines that we have in place, but really to make sure they follow whatever their state government has in place to to try and hopefully help us all get past the situation we're in now and to, and to know that you know really when we get to September and October we can see hockey really up and going and back you know back fully in business and rinks across the country um, and I think one other thing we'll get a boost from is you know starting real soon from you know a week or so from today we should see the NHL back in action out on the ice and that'll be, I think, a really big boost to our, our sport and hopefully our, our industry and our country overall.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of stuck on a fence on deciding whether uh, the long-range ramifications are good um, by having to come back, but I, I understand the economics of it as well as the, the need to. And there's a lot of jobs that are on the line all across the country uh, with what's going on today. Um, it's interesting in hockey, when I grew up in Minnesota, um, they, we, we had park board hockey and you did not travel, uh, per se like they do nowadays. And maybe that will be another benefit that comes out of this uh, COVID situation where they'll be able to do house league stuff and, and, consolidate things. And parents won't have to be taking kids as far. And maybe they'll develop, they'll, they'll figure out a way that says, Hey, we'll figure out the, the perfect mix of just enough travel and just enough in-house.
1: Yeah, and that again is, is the ideal that we all try and work for, regardless of the uh, the current situation. But you know, there are, as you as you know and allude to, in Minnesota, and I grew up in the Boston area. Like, there's there's just more facilities, there's more access, there's more teams and programs out there. Whereas in you know Southern California, for example, has grown quite a bit, but you still, it's not not like you have a rink in every community there. You know, that's a difference. So so when we talk about travel, it means different things for different people. Um, I know with my kids playing in Colorado, Colorado Springs, I mean, we have a great uh, Denver has a lot of programs. We have a couple down here so you can play in and around Denver. But I know I'd talk to, you know, we go from Colorado Springs to Boulder is about 90 minutes or so. And we would go there for regular league games. And I'd call, you know, I call my mom when I'd be driving up with my one of my daughters or my son and driving to a game. And if my parents drove 90 minutes to a game with one of us, we were playing, they would get a hotel room because that would be, you just didn't need or or do that that much back in those days. So, you know, it's just different and and geography plays a big factor. We're fortunate to have um, pretty much the game be national though that everybody can play it. Um, Some places it takes a little bit extra effort to get to an ice rink to do it. But again, thanks to the NHL and expansion, we've got rinks in really in every corner of our country and every state and every location that allows people to play.
0: Well, and that's what Luke talked about when uh, Gretzky came out to California from Edmonton about how you really had to be a dedicated hockey player. And it's better now than it was when I came to Zamboni in 1987. Um, but it's still, as you mentioned, it's not like it is in Minnesota or, or Boston area where you can uh, do a circle of a 30 mile radius and have you know a multitude of ice rinks
1: yeah and then the thing is it depends on what level we're talking about I mean ultimately everybody ends up you know save for some that get to the highest level everybody ends up back in an adult league somewhere right so it's between I had a friend that once said it um and actually you know Pete Carlson in Minnesota at the Super Ranks. Pete had a son that was 15 at the time and I remember we were talking he said you know I don't know where the next 10 years of his hockey life will take him he goes I just wanted to take him that when he's 10 years from now he's 25 he wants to go back to the rink to play adult league hockey with his buddies because he loves the sport and he's had a great experience. He's not sour on it. And really I think that's where we all want it to be that it's a, it's a great, um, you know, it's a great part of your life. And it's something that for us in our sport, you can play it forever. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, around it my whole life and, and I have buddies that play, you know, two, three times a week cause they just love it. It's, it's exercise and it's things they can do and, or they're coaching with their kids and, um you know so it there's there's a ton of different places where people end up and more opportunities um whether it's a california kid that may make it to you know play in our national team program or playing college hockey uh at Division one level, but there's also now i think we have over five hundred uh a c h a college non varsity programs across the country, so i mean, as you know u c l a and u s c play against each other in college hockey it's not Division one, but it's a pretty good level of hockey, and it's allowing kids to play play the game through their college years, which hopefully will keep them in to get into those adult leagues or referee or, or, or coach or just stay involved with hockey. And I think that's really, really important for the game to be healthy everywhere in our country.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to when we see more uh, team, more hockey teams, D1 hockey teams out in the West Coast. And uh, I think that that's going to be the next explosion. Uh, if we can get uh, USC or UCLA or a Stanford Maybe one of the San Diego schools to sport a D1, so that ASU has got somebody to play against that's not having to fly across the country. Pat, you touched on officiating. Can you tell us uh, how USA Hockey is developing uh, the next officials that are either going to be in the junior program or stepping into college or uh, maybe into the show?
1: Yeah, we have a pretty, a very solid officiating development program or ODP um, that that selects and and really works with officials that are going to work first first in our structure within junior hockey so the ushl the north american hockey league are are tier one and tier two programs Um, we we work very closely with those groups to to try and get young officials into a development pipeline Um, certainly then we work with the colleges we work with the national hockey league the american hockey league to try and provide opportunities for officials to ascend their way up the ladder um, and that really again, that translates back into the grassroots level right one of, the, one of the emphasis that we have in this season coming up is is to foster better communication and relations between all of our officials. So if they're officiating a, a 10u game on a Saturday afternoon, um, how do they work with the coaches? How do the coaches work with them so that they have a good experience? We lose way too many officials after their first year because they don't, um, they, don't they don't enjoy it getting yelled at or screamed at by adults and maybe they're 15 16 17 year old kids that really want to give back and try and do something else to stay in the game how can they how can they stay in the game how can they have opportunities and and I think officiating is certainly a way to go we have to continue to work on our culture and the culture of youth hockey so that potential officials when they start at 17 18 locally enjoy it have a good experience and maybe want to ascend to higher levels then can get into our officiating programs and um you know this summer unfortunately for everybody we we've missed an opportunity for for some elite player development programs which also are opportunities for elite officiating development programs so um we run player development camps for players on the on the boys and the girls side from ages 15 through 18 and we have uh, officiating development programs that go hand in hand with those events that allow uh, officials to come in um to, to work games to be evaluated and really to be coached to, to become better so um it's a big part of what we do we have approximately 25,000 officials registered with usa hockey and we provide different levels of education and and support and, uh it's like i said it's an area that that we've been very proud of what we've done but we know we have to take a look at it from the culture of the game how we can make sure it's a a, a, a better experience for everybody involved. And that's the coaches with the officials, the officials with the coaches, and then our fans, our parents and people. Um, so going back to your earlier point, as we get going in the fall and some games get going, maybe uh, maybe that will help if we don't have as many fans in the stands or officials sitting in the stands as opposed to the ones on the ice. So we'll we'll see, but we need to continue to make sure the culture around, around the game and specific to the officials is better all the time.
0: I wanna kinda transition into um women's hockey, girls hockey. Uh I think you probably had the opportunity to spend uh some time with your years with USA hockey with Walter Bush. Um I was lucky enough to know him uh through my father and uh when my father was sick uh, before he passed away, we reached out to Walter and uh Walter was kind enough to get a hold of him and uh it was pretty peculiar. Um Walter passed away uh, a few days before my dad did, and I was able to go to uh, the funerals for both of them uh, in the same week, and Walter was a great man. He, had a, he, he was a, a big push for women's hockey. Um, can you maybe tell us uh, what USA Hockey continues to do and Walter's influence on getting um, women's hockey in the Olympics in Nagano, I believe?
1: yep yep the first games where we had the women's olympic uh, competition in hockey was in nagano in 98 fortunately we were uh we won that one which was great uh 98 and then we book ended it two years ago in 2018 with another gold medal and had to struggle through some uh tough finishes uh heartbreaking finishes in between then that that we didn't get the gold medals but walter was instrumental in the international hockey community and the international olympic community to get women's hockey into the Olympics. That was something that he championed. Uh, he believed in it. And, and again, it's been huge. And what the impact that has been for our organization is, is I want to say it's immeasurable, but it is almost measurable in the, the number of girls and women that we have playing hockey nowadays. Uh, when, when the first women's Olympic competition was held in 98, we had, um, I think it was about 20,000 females total Registered in USA hockey. In 2018, when we won the women's gold again at the Olympics uh, in heart in stopping fashion, that shootout, 20 years later, we had 20,000 age eight and under girls registered in USA hockey. So the impact there has been the growth of the game, the opportunities for girls to play the game. Um, now, obviously, we have college hockey, we have youth programs all across the country that do a tremendous job. We have now high school programs across the country um, for girls to have opportunities to play the game. And again, you know, we, we have some that will get to the highest level and play in the Olympics and win gold medals, and that's really, really important. But now what we're seeing too is that this generation, you know, that may have been in the, the mid to later nineties that now are back, and I know someone like an, an AJ Melesco who was on that team um and is now a broadcaster for nbc and involved with usa hockey she's got four kids to play and she coaches and she gives back and a lot of her teammates from 98 do the same whether they're coached at the college level or uh, have their kids play and i think that's really really important and and for us i think will be the next even the next evolution now that we have um females that are giving back and coaching other females we we just have greater numbers of that we we did it we've always had female coaches, but now we have just more of them and a greater pool, and I think that's really, really important as we continue to move forward. I know, you know, I have two daughters, and they've played uh, to varying levels, and um, they've had both male coaches and female coaches, and just sitting and watching as a parent, um, it's a great, it's it's an added benefit when they have some female input as a coach. Um, it's just, it just, I think it, it's, it's just improves the experience, and and that's, really really substantial for us moving forward so the number of girls and women's women playing continue to grow we have more adult females playing um in events and tournaments all over the country and leagues um and and again at the the youth level our numbers continue to grow and the nhl helps us to grow the game uh all over the place and, and in every part of the country especially in their communities but they also focus quite a bit on the on the girls' side and impacting girls in the game as well. So all those things combined, I think, just in general, to go off the girls' side for a second, is I think all of us in the hockey business now are really aligned on how we can continue to grow the game. I think that's across North America. I mean, we work with Hockey Canada, NHL, the NHL Players Association, college hockey, rink operators. I think it's really how we've
0: been successful growing the
1: game and it's how we're going to continue to be successful growing the game.
0: Yeah, and I think in ice rinks across the country, um, one of the larger growing learn to skate or learn to play is adult women uh, in hockey. And I, I'm going to assume that uh, USA Hockey sees that in registrant numbers uh, as well to to back that up.
1: Yep, absolutely. On the on the, the women's side, we do have more and more players in the adult categories. And, you know, sometimes it's it's moms that pick it up when they see their kids play. Other times it's, uh, it's friends, women bringing other friends in because it's a great workout it's great exercise and uh, and then the, the thing that's I think separates hockey and why people play it forever and ever is the camaraderie and the locker room you know you don't necessarily find that in in adult sports um, all the time where you have that that same kind of experience that you had when you were a kid but I think that's a big part of it I know from um, you know on the adult league side whether it's men or women certainly the opportunity to go play and skate and get a good workout in and then maybe hang out with your, your buddies and your teammates and potentially
0: have a cold beverage or two after the game is really, really part, fun part of the experience. Yeah. I can remember a long time ago when I went to one of my first ISI conferences before I even worked for Zamboni. Back then it was the ISIA. i um, talking to a gentleman who was a goalie and he talked so much about the old timers tournament that uh, Charles Schultz held uh, up at Santa Rosa. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to attend that or not but uh, maybe you can elaborate a bit about it because that is what you know it's to me hockey is the greatest sport ever greatest trophy is the stanley cup and it just brings things together
1: yeah and i think you know i've never been up to that snoopy tournament but i know friends that have been and it's just great and i think again we do you know we we run a lot of adult tournaments and national championships but also you know weekend tournaments or classics and um people are just they just love the the competition yes but they love the camaraderie um and again for a lot of people it's something you did as a kid you go away for a hockey weekend you have a blast and your parents have a blast and so it it kind of translates as you grow up and still get the chance to do that I, I, it's a blast whenever you know i've done it in years past and gone away with college buddies or um you know we here in colorado we've gone up in the mountain towns for a couple of weekends and um it's just great fun and i think that's you know to our, our game is so good, and it's so good for so many people in so many ways. And I think one of the things too, that I just want to touch on is that for us, a, a big area is, is I've mentioned it multiple times is growing the game. And one of those areas or are, are specifically now, we, we look at diversity inclusion is such a big area for us and a point of emphasis that how do we engage more people um, and more people of color to come to hockey? Um, you know, there's more, there are more and more people of color playing at the highest levels, whether that's uh, Americans or Canadians in the National Hockey League and, and on the women's side as well. And how do we make sure that that translates to grassroots level? How do we get out to communities where we, we've always done a very, very good job with the NHL's partnership and diversity programs and Hockey is, for Every Pro, Hockey is for Everyone programs. A lot of those are based in and around inner cities. And you know, that's, those are great programs and the people that work them do an unbelievable job to expose our game. To different people of different backgrounds but you know we know there's communities where um you know the, it, it it is more diverse and people can play the game and they live in the suburbs and they live near a rink and they go to school with others that play the game and they work with them and they drive the same cars and they have the same professions and um some come to hockey and then some don't and and we really are focused on how we can make our game more inclusive more welcoming and make sure that everyone that comes into it, that we invite into the rinks has a great experience and knows that they're welcome there and that we wanna be more diverse and wanna look like the rest of our country in our sport, that we are a diverse diverse country and how can we make our sport um, look, be reflective of what the country looks like?
0: Well, and I think that that shows in Seth Jones, who comes to mind, whose dad was a player in the NBA. And Seth is one of the top defensemen uh, in the NHL and looking forward to to seeing him uh, possibly play uh, in the Olympics. I want to touch on another topic that is uh, along the same lines is you and I talked earlier before we started the podcast about a gentleman who's a customer and you know him well who's got a son who uh, plays some sled hockey. Can you tell us um, how USA supports uh, disabled hockey and, and the ability for players to Ah, uh, get to play no matter what. Uh, if they've got an injury that doesn't allow them to skate, they still have room in the USA Hockey uh, program to be able to play.
1: Yeah, we've we've done quite a bit in the disabled side. I think you know we have a, a disabled section of volunteers led by a gentleman named JJ O'Connor who tragically broke his neck playing hockey when he was in high school and is in a wheelchair, but has a passion for our game that's that's not matched by many. Um, and so his big thing for, for years and years is how do we provide more opportunities for people to engage in our sport and we have now i'm going to say six different disciplines but i may be off of, of disabled hockey we have sled hockey we have blind hockey we have standing amputee we have hearing impaired we have special hockey we have warrior hockey for disabled veterans so um all those are underneath the usa hockey umbrella they're they're very um there's a great deal of passion among our volunteers that work with all these programs in the disabled hockey community, and again and their their tagline is that hockey is for everybody and b o d y at the end of that is is emphasized on that um but I think with all these differences people can people can experience our game in a way that works for them. um We do a disabled hockey festival in the springtime normally and uh we have we we now have grown it. it's it's two it's spread over two weekends because we have such great participation sled hockey continues to grow certainly the success we've had on the paralympic side and winning gold medals has played a factor in that but um it's more accessible now for people across the country to try sled hockey we have sled lending programs and all these things come together in these disabled hockey festival um, it's a celebration of, of people getting to play the game of hockey that make sense or works for them whether they're standing amputee whether they're hard of hearing whether they're in a sled um, and it's really inspirational and it's it's a great thing it's spoken enough parents who have kids that are out there that have some sort of disability and it's it, hockey has a profound impact on their lives um, and i would say as i watch as a parent you see that you see the parents you see the kids you see the impact it's just uh it means a lot. It's very, very important. And disabled hockey is a, is a huge part of what we do. And um, we're very, very proud to to be associated with all these athletes that come out to play our sport in their various different disciplines within disabled hockey.
0: It's great to see that USA hockey is making that outreach and trying to make it accessible uh, to anybody who has a passion and loves the game to be able to play. And, you know, as a, hockey fan, I I thank the organization for doing that. It brings to mind uh, a gentleman that uh, you being a a former New Englander um, will know and we're trying to get him and his father uh, on a podcast in the future. And I'm talking about Travis Roy and Leroy and you uh, having some ties to BU um, probably see. And I know Travis is a passionate uh, BU fan uh, playing uh, just the one shift there. But uh, a great guy, and maybe you can touch a little bit about uh, about him and his any involvement he may have with usa hockey
1: yeah I, i've we run into Travis at various events uh, he is i mean his passion is fantastic for our game and and um and for just you know making disabled athletics better and raising money, I know for a bunch of different charities related to um you know people with disabilities so Travis and his, his whole family, certainly his dad, Lee, great people, um, have have overcome a lot of challenges and tough situations, but uh, has done an amazing job and an incredible impact on our sport and so many people around the country um, by what they do. So um, it's, al- it's always a pleasure to run into the Roy family, no matter where we are or what the event is.
0: Yeah, they certainly have taken a lot of lemons and and turned it into an awful lot of lemon aid. And- changed the lives of many people. Um, let's spend a little bit of, talk, of time talking about uh, junior hobby, hockey. Uh, can you explain to our listeners uh, who played junior hockey and the various opportunities and impact on the sport? Yeah, it's at a 16 to age
1: group category um, on the, on the boys side. And, you know, really, again, where you and I grew up, Doug, there's high school hockey was always predominant and it still is in a lot of cases, a lot of places around the country, juniors provide an opportunity, uh, sometimes in communities where there is an high school hockey to be played um, and then it also is a big part of our development ladder so in the american development model um, junior hockey in that age category is a big part of uh, potentially getting to the next level we have the ushl based in the midwest the one tier one league the highest level of junior hockey in our country and then we have one tier two league the north american hockey league um, that's all all parts all across the country um, those two two leagues are are focused on developing players to put them into college hockey and beyond. And they both do an incredible job uh, in their their different realms of junior hockey to do that for us. Uh, And it's an impact for for thousands of players each year who move away from home and live with families and play junior hockey. And then we have the tier three junior level, which again, they, they have players in that 16 to 20 age group who are looking to continue playing, continue playing at a serious level and maybe that translates into some from that tier three level to get to college hockey at the division one or division three level in the NCAA but if not the majority of them are moving on to those ACHA non-varsity programs and again junior hockey is that vital link to help us move players from a youth hockey level to that junior hockey and then into college and beyond so um, it it continues to grow across the country uh, and is a really really important part of of, again, the development ladder of, the excuse me, the ladder of development within our American development model.
0: That's great. Um, we'll touch in a little bit on the Olympics where we might have differing viewpoints, and uh, it'll be interesting. I was on a, a Zoom meeting call with the NISMO organization this morning that uh, John MonteLeon hosted. He did a fine job of uh, taking a Swiss approach and balancing the Uh, the fence when I talked to him, but um, can you talk a little bit about the different levels of championships um, that USA hockey is involved in? I know there's the juniors that uh, the USA team had was, I believe able to play this year um, and different championships that are out there for USA hockey members.
1: Yeah. So of course we have on the youth level, the national championship side, we have, you know, we start national championships at the 14 under level, um up through you know up through 18s and then on the on the girls side as well and then junior hockey and we have it for adult hockey and programs and then internationally we play in five uh five world championships under the iihf the international ice hockey federation is a men's worlds a women's worlds then we have the the world juniors you referred to the under that's the under 20 age group that's uh played at chris right around christmas time and new year's every year um, and hopefully we can play it in edmonton uh, in Red Deer, Alberta, next next December and January, uh, and then we have the U18 World Championships at the men's level and at the uh, excuse me at the the women's level as well. And we've been dominant in both of those at the U18s. It's a big, it's kind of the the ending or the graduation, so to speak, for our two-year national team development program or NTDP uh, that we run in Michigan. And on the on the women's side, it's really that first international competition where. A lot of the players that you've seen in the Olympics, whether it's Hillary Knight or Kendall Coyne Schofield uh, or Megan Duggan, they played on the U18s and, and a lot of them won gold medals at the U18 level before they moved to the senior level or, or national team level from there. So, um, and then on the sled side, we have a Paralympics, uh, a World Championships for the sled side every every spring as well, uh, and then obviously the Paralympic Games. But I know you're you're dying to get back to to grill me and tease me about Olympic hockey and all that, and if When we have this conversation, just so everybody knows, Doug, this will probably be the first time uh, that we don't have a beer in hand when we have this discussion over the past 20 whatever years it's been.
0: Speak for yourself, Pat. It's, uh, what is it? It's 3.20, (laughs) so it's got to be beer time somewhere. I'm going to save that to the end. And I I certainly, you know, you and I, you've been gracious enough to entertain my viewpoint, and I greatly appreciate that over the years. Um, I live in the revelry of 1980 as being the greatest sports moment in my lifetime. Uh, I also believe strongly that the 1960 Olympic team doesn't get enough credit uh, for what they did in Squaw Valley and the Olympic games there and 1956 uh, with the silver medal. I am very fortunate enough to have known um, uh, Dick Rodenizer, as well as met several others. Dick Meredith was a friend of my father's. Uh, still, He's still alive. My father isn't, but um, I was able to hold Dick's gold and silver medal Uh, in an event out at uh, a NISMA event out at Ed Peduto's rink. Well, let's get to the elephant in the room before I get to the last question. Um, You and I have had differing opinions, and I realize that I have to change, okay? Uh, Change is not something that I adapt to easily. I am a firm believer that um, even if we lost, and I enjoyed the, the games in Pyeongchang, um, I did because I felt that those kids that were over there were passionate. It may not have been the best players that USA hockey could put together, but it was the best amateur players. There, n- I, I don't think we can ever go back and think we can revisit 1980. It'd be nice to think that that could happen again, but I think that's a once in a forever happening. Um, can you give us your take on – 2022 do you think that that's realistic that that's going to happen and what's your take and are you excited about it even if it gets pushed off to possibly 2023 having the best usa hockey players even if they're professionals over there
1: yeah i i think again i believe we'll be playing the olympics in 2022 i remain positive on that side uh, we continue to talk to the u.s olympic committee about that. And, you know, we believe we will be there in february 2022 with the olympics and we want to go with our best players I, I do not disagree with the things you've said about the 1980 team certainly the greatest sporting moment in my lifetime and a lot of people's lifetimes and the greatest sporting moment in our country's history in our country in the 20th century the greatest sporting moment and that's so so crucial in 1960 and the 98 women and the 2018 women all our gold medals and our, our sled gold medals but on the men's side you know, we want to have our best players there. And I was with the team in 2018 and the guys that we had, there were great, but let's remember, they weren't amateurs. Those guys are professional hockey players. They're just not playing in the National Hockey League. Um, And they were awesome. They were so great. They were, a lot of them, again, grew up in their lives. They did not, unless they were NHL players, they didn't think they'd have the opportunity to play in the Olympics. And most of them had represented us internationally before. so they they had an unbelievable experience they gave it everything I mean we hit a crossbar in overtime and then lost the shootout the quarterfinals so that group will always be special because it 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 may be a unique situation because we think the NHL and the NHL Players Association will be back in 2022 and 2026. for where we are as a hockey country we want our best players of the Olympics on the biggest stage the NHL is 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 the best league in the world without question. And we love to watch all our players there. But the only opportunity that we have to get our best players against the best players around the world is at the Olympics. And it's the the, the, the highest level of competition. And we want our best players there because we know that our best players can deliver a gold medal. Now it's not going to be easy because Canada, Russia, Finland, Sweden, and the Czechs all have the same feeling about their players. But we want to go with our best players and do that. The, the you know, even even Doug, as you well know, going back to 1980, the U.S. team was amateurs. The other countries were not amateurs. They weren't NHL players, but they weren't amateurs. So uh,
0: again, I, 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 I. Are you trying I, to tell the I, listeners that the Russians weren't just guys that? Uh, played pickup hockey on a wednesday night and they all got together to come to lake placid
1: yep i am uh and again (laughs) it was it's one of the greatest it's the greatest one of the greatest hockey memories i'll ever have i remember exactly where i was and what happened and i've been fortunate to be around some pretty cool things since then but 1980 will always be special special to me but i think as we move forward um you know we want to have the best we want we have so many people that contribute to help these players as coaches and volunteers and parents to get to the the level they can get to. And when we put an Olympic team in and you look at all the other sports in the Olympics, they want to bring their best athletes to compete. And that's what we want to do on the men's side. We know we do it on the women's side. We know we do it in sled. Um, but on the men's side, we want to bring our best players there. We want to see Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel and Patrick Kane. And, um, you know, someday the Hughes brothers and all these other players that have, that have represented USA hockey in different events that we've talked about. Um, we want to see them in the Olympics and competing at the highest level and ultimately win us that the next gold medal on the men's side.
0: I get it. And I guess the thing for me, and maybe it's something that can come down, whether it be from the guys that played on the 80 team or maybe even some of the 60 guys who are still around, is to have the players that are part of that team understand what it means to represent the country. Well, as they- a kid. They get it. It's, it's unfair to think that they don't get it, Doug, to be honest, and I'm not
1: trying to be combative, but he nope, nope. you know, these guys. I mean, Austin Matthews and, and Jack Eichel and Patrick Kane, you know, they played in, in world championships when they were 17 18, those tournaments didn't exist back for the players in 1960 or 1980. They played in the world juniors in front of, you know, in a building in Canada um, with 18,000 fans and, and, you know, or, or Troy Terry in Montreal and won a gold medal there in a shootout. Um, so the guys that, that are at the highest level, they they still it's pretty special for them. I read an article the other day on Charlie McEvoy who plays for the Bruins, who's played every time we've asked him to play in the world championships or anything, he's always come and answered the bell. And he's most excited because he loves to play for USA hockey. It means a lot to him. And I think I know from talking to a lot of those guys at the NHL level, they want to play. I mean, that's a big thing. The players want to do it because they want to represent their country and they want to they want to play at the highest level. So it, it's different because they have the nhl today where they didn't have it the same way certainly in 1960 and not even in 1980 and those guys did so much to break down barriers and 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 to help us get where we are today but the players of today don't don't think that they don't care about playing for their country they really really do and it's important to them and that's why that's why
0: it's a possibility again now. yeah and i i don't think Pat. my opinion isn't that they don't care i just hope that they realize how special and i think it's probably different today with the players that have grown up than maybe the players that um, were playing as the first pros in the NHL, where it was maybe a bit of a burden. There was some stuff that went on in different uh, Olympics in the past that, that didn't paint as good a picture as it could have. And I, I'm encouraged to see the attitude of the younger players because of of maybe a better understanding what it is, maybe the movie Miracle, uh, different things. And that's exciting to me. And if they show that same passion uh, that that group of kids did in 1980, then, hey, um, let it be that way. I, I'm good with that. I, that probably surprises you a bit. I can tell by you chuckling, but uh, it well, truly, I'm, just thinking, I'm just thinking we might have another hour if we keep going on this. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not going to do that because I'm sure you got better things to do than listen to me talk. And, you know, my my opinion's coming more towards your side, Pat. I, I'm I'm coming, you're, I'm rowing the boat and I'm going to catch up to you pretty soon. But I still live in that Pollyanna world that I'd love to think that a group of kids who I was fortunate enough, my my claim to fame in skating, uh, playing hockey was I got to skate against Mike Ramsey when he was a senior and I was a sophomore in high school. And to watch him go and to see what went on and to meet a bunch of the players from that team, I just got done a few months ago reading Mike Ruzioni's book. I was able to see him a year or two ago in Minnesota and give him a little bit of a jab about saying that the Minnesota hockey players were better than the the New Englanders. And boy, the the fire's still there in his belly with uh, when you bring that topic up. But um, uh, for, it, it,
1: for so ahead. many reasons, for so many reasons, we'll never have another 1980. But sure, I would love to to see what an impact another gold medal on the men's side would have, and would love to be to see to. to To have that happen for our organization our sport in our country i think it would be phenomenal
0: it's you know the passion is there with the players i was in salt lake in 2002 and was in the vomitory where the machines would go on and off the ice and after the u.s team beat the russians um jeremy ronick came off and i was able to high five him and it wasn't the same but it was a pretty similar feeling and you know the look in his eye the exhaustion knowing that they put everything on the line to win that game and one of my mementos that i have is the puck that was used for the game-winning goal by i believe mcdonald scored the game winning goal against the russians that they didn't change the pucks out on a regular basis back then and it popped up into the vomitory, rolled up i was able to grab it put it in my pocket and kind of hide behind a few people to get out of the building. But nice. um, it, it was great. So it's going to lead me to a couple more questions. USA Hockey's long been recognized as the very best national governing body of sport, not only in our country, but across the world. What is the secret sauce that's used to make that uh, be the case?
1: You know, I'd say there's two pieces of that. Number one is our game. Uh, the sport of hockey is, is like no other sport. We, we, we joke about when kids get started, they learn how to fall down and get back up, and that's certainly a life lesson. Um, and I think it breeds breeds um, people that 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 take those lessons important, and that hockey has a huge impact. And that leads into the people we have. Um, you mentioned earlier, and I kind of mentioned a couple times. I mean, it takes a village to to play hockey and be involved in our sport. It's not easy, um, but I think that 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 lends something to it that people um, have have to maybe. Overcome some hurdles to to be involved with our sport, whether that means travel or just commitment to be involved in hockey. Um, and the people that do that love it. I, I always go back to a line. My mother, again, with five boys that all played hockey, she saw every rink in New England and beyond for for years and years and years. And every year, it was, you know, all year long. They were or all hockey season long. They were in rinks. And my mother today will say the same thing. I wouldn't. She goes, I would sign up tomorrow and do it all over again. So I think our sport does a great thing for people. And I think people um, give back to it in so many great ways. And I think that, that, that really is what it is beyond that. I think there's a lot of other things that I could bore you with about how great our organization is and the structure and the the things that we offer uh, as a national governing body to, again, to try and make the, the youth hockey experience the best it can possibly be. But to me, it comes back that we have the best sport ever and that, that brings, that attracts the best people ever to our sport.
0: I I think that USA hockey is in great hands with you. You've got a passion for the sport. Um, You, you'd certainly do a great job. And I, the secret sauce leads me into a topic that I'm a bit of a foodie and it's kind of something that I've asked on all the podcasts I've been involved in. And being it that, you've been to a couple, uh, you've spent a great bit of time in the Boston area. Um, I'm going to ask you the best pizza, and there's only one answer that can be. Otherwise, we'll get the, the horn. Uh, so uh, would could you tell me what the best pizza is in Boston? Would it possibly be Santarpio's? There you go. Now, is it, which Santarpio's is it? Because well, there's two of in them. My mind, in my mind, there's only one, Doug. There you go. That's the right answer for that question as well. Uh, best food in the north end i know you're irish or at least i'm going to assume that you're irish yeah, yeah. but yeah. the name uh, maybe uh, italian might uh, be one of your favorite foods and if so where would you go in the north end for an italian meal
1: that's a tough one i'm not sure if i can come up with a restaurant name right off the bat i haven't been back there in a long time for for food and you know i guess being being um, more or less homebound i haven't been out of Colorado Springs since March. And that's a long, long time. I don't know where I'd go in the North End, but I think I don't think you were wrong anywhere in the North End for Italian food.
0: I've only had one bad meal in the North End. And that was when Richard Zamboni and I were directed to a restaurant by a policeman. And he ended up sitting in the bar when we were walking out going, it's really bad when you go to Boston and you get a bad meal because there's no excuse for it. Pagliucas uh-huh. is one that comes to, you know that's one of my favorites to go to. Uh, Massimino's is another one on the North End. Um how about the best cannoli? <laughs>
1: again, you're asking the Irish guy all these questions, Doug. I, I haven't been back there enough to to tell you.
0: Well, you got to get back and visit your family. Maybe you could go to Michaels and uh and get a cannoli there. Those, those are pretty Never darn go. good cannolis.
1: You know what the best part is again, having having four brothers and between my kids and whatever and 16 kids running around our wives and all that, we don't exactly go out to too many restaurants for that stuff. And we're usually down down in Hummerock Beach where actually my my brothers and my mom and their kids are all there now so I'm very jealous that we did not get out of Colorado to get there but Rock Beach and situate um we'll get pizza at the bridgeway Inn. but usually it's uh it's it, the best part of those summers and the best meals Doug is when we go and get honest to goodness we we get 25 to 30 lobsters and cook them up and it's a great it's a great celebration and that's that's what I would prefer to do frankly versus going to any restaurant for any meal when I'm back in Boston I would rather be with my family and and cooking up lobsters and seam clams at home and just having a lot of
0: laughs. Yeah, it's not so much the food as it is the people that you're with and, and getting to share family time. That That's awesome. Um, Chicago, uh, can I challenge you on best beef in Chicago or best hot dog in Chicago? Or has it been too long for you there as well?
1: been too long. I wouldn't say – I'd say, you know, down um, – uh, I guess at the the higher the higher end. I mean, you can't go wrong when you get down to to Gibson's down in the, in downtown Chicago. I mean, that's just probably the best meal probably ever. Yeah. And then I used to have a lot of great little spots. There was a, a place called when I lived there. There's a place called Cullins, which was on the north side that I used to take everybody to when they came in. It was like this great little Irish pub, and they had the best um, chicken pot
0: pie going. Sounds good. I'll have to give that a try if it's still around. I, I'm a big Johnny's Beef guy. Uh, and Portillo's is uh, another go-to, and lucky that they've got, there's actually a Portillo's not too far from here, and I've indoctrinated uh, a few of my grandkids, as well as my wife, into uh, into going there, so. Going on with Portillo's. No. Um, any parting words or shots that you want to give me, Pat, uh, I'll <laughs> give you the opportunity, because you've been a, a very gracious guest on our podcast today, and I greatly appreciate it.
1: No I, pre- I appreciate it Doug I know we've obviously known each other a long time and had some great discussions on Olympic hockey and stuff it's always fun I do always enjoy it I think I just would um you know again and and you can relay this as well but I just uh so appreciative of get of getting to know you and the Zamboni family and not just the the the, the actual family for one but the people that work with the Zamboni company um always a pleasure to be around them a great group of people um the Zambonis that I've gotten to know over the years the um you know Richard and everybody back in the day I mean just such such wonderful people that love our sport love our our, our rink industry and and have given so much so it's a, it's a pleasure to be here as i mentioned at the beginning uh, the term Zamboni expert should never be near my name but it's a uh, it's great to talk to you and and again appreciate all that the Zamboni company and the family have done over the years for our game and for 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 hockey in america
0: well wow. thank you Pat Gallagher executive director of USA Hockey for spending time with us today We want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? Please email your questions or requests to info at zamboni.com. For more info and additional podcast episodes, please visit zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day.